0: The biggest thing that's changed with the story is the point of view. So it went from a sort of the third omniscient, you know, version to I tried to do third close, which is just something that's not in my wheelhouse. Um, And then on to first person. And first person ended up being the right fit for Subi. Changing the entire point of view of your book twice uh, is not something I would recommend doing.
1: What Were You Thinking? The podcast that goes beyond the pages of the books we love. I'm your host, Dana Goldstein, and I invite you to join me as we ask authors to share the story behind their stories. Well hello my friends and welcome to a brand new episode of What Were You Thinking? I'm really excited to introduce you to Melissa Roder today. Melissa and I have a little bit of a history. We were put together into a support and critique group through a podcast called The Shit No One Tells You About Writing. Hey Bianca, hey Carly, hey Cece. If you haven't checked out this podcast, At any stage of your writing career, it's a worthy listen. Melissa and I are talking about her debut novel, which at the time of recording was still a couple of weeks out from pub date. I was fortunate enough to have read an early version of Sue B and the Ritters, and I can say with all conviction that it's an amazing story. Your kids will love it. You will love reading it yourself, and you will love reading it to your children. So get in on it. Today is the release day and it is available across all platforms. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to my newsletter. It's over on Substack. There's a free version that's open to everybody. And then for as little as $5 a month, you can get access to things that won't be shared out publicly, including chapters from my next memoir, which at this point in time is titled crushed if you're interested you can go have a peek at the public newsletters over at danagoldstein.substack.com and now here's my conversation with melissa rodert author of sue b and the Ritters. Okay. melissa we are less than two weeks <laughs> away from your debut novel middle grade novel sue b and the Ritters. how are you feeling right now
0: I'm feeling more underwhelmed than I thought that I would be. I'm one of those people that, like, doesn't amp up, you know, my my excitement just in case some earth-shattering revelation hits right before. So I'm sure I'll be very excited the day of. But right now, I'm just sort of trying to keep myself even-keeled.
1: So how long were you working on this book? Like, um, from, from the time that you... Uh first started to first draft to publication, how long?
0: To publication is 13 years. <laughs> Just yeah, that's about normal. <laughs> 13 normal years. Um yeah, I had a dream when my oldest was three, who is now seventeen. Um like three or four, I had a dream about this book. Just you know, a character and magic bird seed and these pterodactyls that would carry your problems away for you and i woke up and was like i have to write that but i was in school and a single mom and i had you know a little one at home and so i wrote as much as i could but then i went to grad school and i stopped writing completely until the pandemic and then i actually wrote the book in you know like two and a half months
1: so did you go back and revisit what you had written before and like scrapped it? Did you start fresh? Did you continue?
0: I would say I probably kept about a third of what I had originally written. I mean, I had to improve it because, you know, I'd been, I was, you know, a decade older, a better writer. I had better grammar. Some of the grammar stuff, I was like, what? Did I not know how writing worked? Um, But I kept quite a bit of it.
1: Okay, so I know that you're a pantser, that you don't mm-hmm. plan. <laughs> like, how have you tried planning a book? And if you did, why didn't it work for you?
0: Um, So I am one of those people that insists that, that my characters tell me the story, not the other way around. So when I plan the book, it just feels like um, I'm trying to force them to live their lives the way I want them to and they rebel just like my 17 year old does. So nothing goes according to plan. So what is the point of, you know, putting a month's worth of effort into writing a plan that's gonna be tossed out the window when my characters decide that they're on a totally different, you know, pathway in their lives.
1: So you said that the characters rebel, what does that look like?
0: I mean, they do it sometimes even with the pantsing, Because, you know, you get to a certain point in the book where you're like, oh, I think I know where this is headed. And then all of a sudden they throw you for a a loop. Um, I wouldn't say it happened so much with Subi as much as when I'm writing YA. And I don't know if that's the the age range of my characters. 16-year-olds tend to, you know, be a little more unexpected than an 11-year-old or 12-year-old from my experience. Um, But it's usually something along the lines of like, you know, I think I'm heading to, you know, a certain conflict, and then all of a sudden they're like, actually, I don't even want to deal with that character. Now I'm over here. So like my YA that I'm that I just finished writing a, a bit ago, um, I was planning on this sort of love triangle thing, and then the the bad option for the girl decided that he was just going to go straight up villain and so he just removed himself from this love triangle that i had planned and i didn't appreciate it to be honest
1: <laughs> it's it's so much fun when they when the characters drive the story and like you know I, I, I don't know if that's necessarily a pantser versus a planner thing i think that's just a writer thing that yeah. you know we have this idea of what our characters are going to be but when we actually get down to the writing that Changes did that
0: ever happen for you? Um, I mean, I, I when I start writing a book, when I tell you I pants, I mean that I have started books with nothing more than a title. Um, the last middle grade that I wrote is called Furballs of uh, Fire. Yeah, and I just was like, that's a fun thing to say. And I was like, "What would that even be about? What would that look like?" And I was like, "Well, obviously, it's cats and dragons." So then I did some research on what is it between cats and dragons, and it turns out there's this huge mythology factor involved. And then I just sat down and stared at a blank, you know, the blank blinking cursor, and I started writing. And then this this story and these characters took shape. And I have literally no idea who they are, what they are, what they look like. I just jump in. So when I say pantsing, I mean, I literally have absolutely no concept of what my book is about.
1: Amazing. And you, you're a mom of three? Two. Two. Okay. You're a mom of two. When do you do your writing?
0: So this has actually been uh, part of a, a struggle for me ongoing recently. Um, I, by nature, am a night owl. So especially with I started writing seriously at the beginning of the lockdown for the pandemic, um, which was a gift and a curse in itself. You know, Um, my teenager, I pulled him out of school. I was homeschooling him during the day and then I had the baby. And so I would write at night after bedtime. And that just worked really well for me. So I would be in the dark in my office you know, until two o'clock in the morning, just writing away feverishly, knowing that I was going to be up in two hours with a baby. But you know, you kind of get used to no sleep after a while. Um, But now, because I have a chronic illness, like if I am not lights out at 11pm, like I'm no good for the next day. So I'm trying to teach myself to write during the daylight hours, but it's not, it's not an easy transition for me. I really think that I did not anticipate the impact of the business end of writing and how that was going to affect me creatively. I have had so much more self-doubt and imposter syndrome in the business aspect of publishing than I ever had in the writing aspect. So it's really just sort of taking this taking this toll on me and my ability to trust myself with a story because it's, I know that I'll write a book. I know that I'll like the book. I know that my family and my beta readers will like the book, but in the end, am I content to just have written a story or do I want to write a story that is going to take me somewhere? And that complicates everything. So what
1: kind of business stuff have you had to take on?
0: Um, So I went with, it's a small press. Um, So I'm doing the majority of the marketing all by myself, which I have absolutely no experience with or ability to, I am literally copying other people. Like, what did you do this week? Okay. I'll do that too. Um, And on top of that, so I signed with an agent, she sold the book and then uh, right as I was on sub with my second book, um, everything just sort of fell apart for me. So losing an agent and being agentless and, querying again while in the process of publishing a book is life crushing.
1: So tell us about that agent journey because it's it yours has is not typical and it's not been easy.
0: No. So the agent that I signed with originally and I was with her for about a year. Um, it's, you know, kind of that little boutique experience is what I was promised. And in the beginning, that's absolutely what it was. Um, We have a Facebook group. We felt like this tiny little family together. We supported each other. We got weekly updates, if not more current than that. You know, we could shoot text messages back and forth. Very communal. Um, And then my agent just continued to sign more and more and more and more clients until she was completely underwater. She was no longer communicating with the current clients. Um, no longer providing what she had promised to provide under that contract. And I felt lost. So even though my second book was on submission, we hit the point where we should have been put going for round two. And I was having to constantly, you know, are we ready? Like, here's the list. And I came up with a list of editors myself because she just wasn't doing the work. And she was like, yeah, but I'm not going to put this on until all the new clients are on submission. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be more important than the new clients. And it was such a a difference from all my other friends with agents and what they were experiencing. So I tried to address those uh, concerns and I was really met with a closed door. So I made the choice for me that that just, you know, I was better off on my own, um, and, and putting myself back out there than to continue on with that relationship. Uh, but she still represents this series. So uh, this is a three book series that'll be coming out um, separated by a year. So a year from now, the second book will come out and then another year, the third book. So, you know, you try to stay on friendly terms, but it's, there's some bitterness. and That's some... got
1: to be super hard that you're now <laughs> locked in for a three book deal with an agent that you're no longer working with.
0: Yes, and you know, it's sort of like, I want this book to do as well as it can possibly do. I want it to sell as many copies as it can possibly do. But the more success I have with this book, the more I'm handing her, um, which isn't something I love, but.
1: So do you have a new agent now? Oh, no. Okay, you're flying solo. (laughs)
0: I am flying. So I did um, the book that had gone on submission, um, but hadn't sold yet. I mean, it had only gone to like six. So it was only like very lightly shot. Um, I sort of just went the route of uh, the publishers who will accept from uh, unagented with that middle grade book. And then I have a YA book that I'm querying right now. Um, But I'm thinking that I need to finish writing the um, middle grade book that I have that's just been sitting there staring at me waiting for me to be motivated enough to do something with it
1: and that that's not part of the Sue B series right
0: no No. so that's um another one that came to me just as a title um, which is what happens to me um this one is uh, it'll be a retelling, which I've never done before, uh, but it's a very loose retelling of, uh, you know, Edgar Allan Poe's story, The Telltale Heart. Yes. My head said, well, wouldn't it be great to write a middle grade book called The Tell-Tale Heart? I can only Heart?
1: hope that Melissa writes a story that is not as dark and dreary as Poe's Telltale Heart. If you have not read it, it is a story about a narrator who tries to convince the readers that he is not mad and that he carefully planned and calculated to murder an old man and eventually does go mad after he murders and dismembers the body. Melissa, I don't need to tell you that's not appropriate for middle grade, but I'd love to see I how have you to spin it. A page and a half.
0: It probably took me three months to eke out because it's, I just can't make myself right.
1: Yeah. It's so frustrating when we, we hit those walls.
0: How do you get past it? My plan right now is just to wait. It has to go away eventually, right? I mean, I have ADHD, so I'm used to my, my brain taking me in different, you know, places. I'm trying to um, go back to other creative pursuits right now and hope that that'll sort of spark that energy again. So um, I've done a little bit of painting and crafting and sewing and some of that. But it's hard, you know.
1: Tell us about Sue B. and the Ritters. Tell us what this story is about.
0: Sue B. and the Ritters, at the base of it, is really about um, a middle schooler, sixth grader, who has a bully. And she's had this same bully since the first day of kindergarten. He just sort of latched onto her. And she would like nothing more than to get rid of him and to never have to deal with it again. Um, It's caused her to sort of lose herself in her anxiety and not ever feel really comfortable in her shoes. And then even when she goes home, um, things are not easy because she has a little sister who gets away with everything. She has a mom who always you know, sides with the baby of the family. And so she's really struggling, I think, to find the place where she um, feels confident in herself and um, just feels free to be herself, you know? like I think a lot of a lot of kids in that 11, 12-year-old range are really struggling with, who am I? Who do I want to be? Um, and trying to build a little bit of independence and confidence as they move on to the next stage in their life. So Sue uh, discovers this mysterious janitor who appears out of nowhere and he basically says, I'm going to help you with your problem. Uh, he leaves a bag of bird seed in Subi's backpack that she has no idea what that means. Um, but she finds herself in a situation where she is able to use this bird seed uh, to vanish her bully to a place called the Ritterlands and then she realizes that getting what you asked for is not always what it seems like it will be. It is not the big solution to her problems that she had hoped for.
1: Now, I, I read early an early draft and I love this story. Yeah. And I'm curious how much it, has, it had changed from those early drafts to publication.
0: The biggest thing that's changed with the story is the point of view. So I believe that the version you read was in third person. So it went from a sort of the third omniscient, you know, version to I tried to do third close, which is just something that's not in my wheelhouse. Um, And then on to first person and first person ended up being the right fit for Subi but I had to shift some things that didn't work in first person. So that's really the only stuff that's major, majorly changed since the version that you read.
1: Did you find it difficult to change that, that voice from third to first? Um,
0: tedious. <laughs> Changing the entire point of view of your book twice uh, is not something I would recommend doing. And even, I mean, I'm pretty good at, at, sussing out typos and little detail errors and things, but I will tell you, even when I got the ARC copy of my book, I still was finding things that were left over from the third person that made absolutely no sense. So uh, tedious, I think, is is the right word for that experience.
1: What was the most surprising thing in this whole journey to publication for you?
0: I. I think for me, it's the fact that as writers, we have a tendency to um, move the goalpost on ourselves. Um, I remember thinking at one point, like, just finishing a book, right? That would be this great feat. And then you finish a book, and then you finish two or three more books. You know, I've written seven at this point. So then you're like, okay, now what? Getting an agent, that's going to feel great. So you get an agent, and it does feel great. But then... You know, is that it? So then you're looking to get published. So then you get published. All right, this is great. This is it. This is the moment. And then you don't allow yourself to have that moment. So for me, um, that's really what surprises me the most is that I keep moving that, that, that yard marker for myself, that goalpost. And I'm like, can we just celebrate the moment that's happened and the victory that it is before we before we force ourselves to start looking at down the field and you know, what's gonna be next.
1: What, what is the most disappointing thing that you've come across so far?
0: I think it's the agent experience, really. You know, you want that to be such a perfect union, you know, almost like a merge, right? You see the people that are happy with their agents online and it just seems like, wow, you know, a built-in best friend that knows exactly how to fix your stuff and get you to that place. And then discovering that that's not the story for a lot of people. Um, the, as I was going through that experience, I was talking to a lot of other authors who were on their third or their fourth agent, and realizing like, oh, this is not, this is not a one stop shop for a lot of people, and it could be for different reasons, right? Like, say you write kid lit, but you decide you want to write adult, and you know your agent is just not the right person for that anymore. Or you want to take your career in a totally different direction. And that's just, you know, not a good fit anymore. So there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, But I think that was the biggest disappointment was just like, you know, it's sort of like getting divorced. Yeah. You you felt your marriage was going to be happily ever after, but it turns out now you're back on the market and you're back on the dating apps and you're trying to (laughs) figure out the magic secret to finding that perfect soulmate of a literary, literary agent.
1: So now that you've sort of pushed that aside, are you comfortable with your choice to try to find uh, an independent publisher or are you still kind of terrified or are you, do you just not have the headspace because Sue B is about to be released and you need to focus on that business and marketing stuff. What is going on in Melissa's head right now? <laughs> it is chaos,
0: Dana. Um I think right now I'm I am trying to be focused on Subi. Um, even yeah. the querying of the YA novel, um, what's out there right now. I'm just going to let come back in. I'm going to take a huge break for the summer in hopes that I can get the writing going again. And um, as much as I have had some ups and downs and some struggles with with an indie publisher, um, and there is a lot more work that you have to do yourself, um, I'm happy you know, with an indie publisher, I don't feel like I need to be the next, I don't even, I don't even know. (laughs) You know, I'm not, I'm not going to get that, that million dollar six-figure contract maybe at any point in my life, but I'm okay with that. I think I realized like, I just want readers to be able to read my book and that's good enough for me. And you know i like having control over things so i think that in some ways it is nice that this book will do as well as i uh am able to to make it do
1: what is your yeah what is your plan to get it into the hands because we're all in the same boat right our marketing it's like entirely up to us we don't have (laughs) we don't have um uh, our age, we don't have PR <laughs> firms, we don't have a publicist. like it's all on us, baby. So how like what is your plan to get this into the hand of middle grade readers over the summer when they're like all over the place?
0: Yeah, so I am uh, fortunate in that uh, we have a fantastic and expansive library system uh, where I live. Um, they are very supportive of local writers in particular. Um, I have a lot of indie bookstores that are very supportive of local writers, so my plan is sort of to do my own little mini local tour. Uh, I am not going to make any money, you know, from any of this, but I'm going to be, you know, peddling myself. Um, my oldest son's father you know, is the head of the youth library program in Rockport, so um, he's already invited me to come in and do something over the summer. I think as long as I'm getting in front of kids, I mean, that's all I can do. Because so much I think with yeah. with young readers is that word of mouth.
1: Absolutely, you know,
0: yeah. The because they don't care what mom wants them to read. They don't care what, you know, the teacher wants them to read. It's what their friends tell them. This is funny. Yeah. You know, this is a great book. So um, a lot of it is just going to be trying to expose it to as many children as I can. Um, and so I, I made bookmarks and uh, stickers, stickers! And, you know, all sorts of freebies that I can hand out. Kids like free stuff, right?
1: Yeah. Kids love stickers, too. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. I kind of love stickers,
0: too. <laughs> Some of us never grew up and we still like stickers. But...
1: Yeah, that's that's probably why we write middle grade. <laughs>
0: Our humor
1: is right on point with that 12-year-old mentality. Right. Do you find it? uh, So you've you've written middle grade and YA. Which do you feel is like more your home space? And how, this is a compound question, and how (laughs) do you manage to switch between the different age groups and voices?
0: Um. Middle grade is definitely my my home space. Um, it's easier for me, it brings me more joy because the conflict is, um, it's more a chaos that I'm like, I'm capable of handling. <laughs> Whereas like the teenage conflict space is like, can be overwhelming, um, especially because YA does have to have some element of romance generally. And that's like, I'm teaching myself. How, I was never a reader of romance, um, but I'm teaching myself how to how to find that space. Um, I think in terms of voice, that's not a big struggle for me because um, I think you'll find a lot of people who were in theater, so I have a, a bachelor's degree in theater and performing arts. Uh, a lot of theater kids are A, good at putting on another personality. And B great at writing dialogue because we're just that's um that's where our craft had had started, that's where our craft came from. Um and I'm still pretty angsty. So you know, I still listen to that 90s emo. Um, I'm still in my feels. So <laughs> I think that I, I can connect to teenagers quite a bit. <laughs> I never so grew up. How,
1: how do you how do you get into the head of somebody like Sue B? Is that easy?
0: Um, I, I think every middle grade character I've written has anxiety. Um, and I think that that's the connective tissue for me. Um, coming from my my home life when I was younger, um, there was a lot of anxiety and there was a lot of um, trying to figure out like who you had to be in different scenarios and what was expected of you and what people wanted from you and trying to solve conflict on your own, because you feel very much alone in, in that age. You know, you feel sort of separated from like, well, the adults are not going to understand. Maybe my peers won't understand. Um, so I think I tend to, to take, that's like a consistent thread for my my main characters in my middle grade and um, and I think it helps with the relatability because I do think that that's still a, a s- something that is um, consistent no matter what generation you're in. I think that that's a struggle for that that age group. And then from there, it's just you know a dash of that and a dash of humor. And my sense of humor is wow. very much still. Uh, you know, I watch cartoons still. I. I watch more animated uh, movies than I, than I watch, uh, you know, adult stuff. You really, it's a push to get me to watch adult stuff. I mean, Bluey is my favorite show. So I still live in that space. You know, I'm anxious and I want to tell fart jokes and that's just who I am. What scene
1: in Sue and the Ritters is the, the one you're most proud of? The one that when you were, whether it went, got into the final book or not, they generally do. You know, those scenes when you're like, you're
0: writing it and
1: you know, it's gold.
0: No, those scenes for me tend to be the jokes. Um, I personally think I'm hilarious. <laughs> so, I don't really care if other people are laughing with me as much as I, as long as I'm making myself laugh, I feel pretty good about it. Um, so there's. There's two pieces that sort of fall under that. One is um, when Subi is decided in the morning that she is going to uh, face Barnaby head on. She's going to confront him. She is feeling bold. She is feeling determined. And then she sees Barnaby the moment her boss pulls in and she deflates. Uh, and she talks about deflating a lot in this book. So sometimes she deflates like a balloon and sometimes like a whoopee cushion. On her teacher's chair um but uh, there's this moment and i know that kids will not get the joke reference but i know that adults will and my son tried to convince me to take it out but i was like it's too funny when i read it it makes me so happy so there's a moment where i describe her as like um hidden sixth grader crouching chicken um And she does this sort of chicken strut walk hiding behind this other girl as she's trying to like dodge. And then she ends up getting detention for walking inappropriately in the hallways. Um, The the, the jokes in that section really just bring me personally a lot of joy. Um, So, and then the other one is um, I really like alliteration. Uh, I like the way it feels in my mouth. And I like that with middle grade, you can still do it. And nobody's going to tell you it's juvenile because you're allowed to. Um, so there's the the point where where Barnaby puts the wad of chewing gum on her seat and she has no idea and she sits in it. And um, there's just a lot of really good alliteration in there. I don't remember exactly the the words, but um, there's like this long hyphenated double bubble something that really just made me very happy yeah. to write. You know, you'd I, think it would be some big like, moment of, um, you know, joy for Subi, for my character. But no, it's the jokes that make me laugh still when I read it for the 9,000th awesome. time. What do you
1: hope kids will take away from Subi and her journey? Let's like zoom in on Subi in the Ritters and then zoom out to like the big picture of the trilogy.
0: You know, zooming in and focusing on just this book um, with Subi, I think I want kids to to learn to trust themselves a little bit more and to give themselves more credit because they're smart and they're they're funny and they're caring and they're they're better people than I think that sometimes adults give them credit for and they're smarter than adults give them credit for, and they're more capable. And I think we have this this habit of infantilizing children uh, in this country in particular. we sort of, try to hold them back from that independence because we don't want them to grow up as parents. But um, for Subi, a lot of her story is about um, trusting herself to handle this situation and that it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to be anxious and to question yourself. But in the end, if you keep pushing and you keep challenging yourself, you're going to get to a place where you found your way out of whatever conflict you're in whether that's a bully or a pain in the butt little sister who always gets away or feeling like your parents are against you you know it's okay to to have those feelings and you're not being disingenuous to your family for having those um and just giving giving that age group the space to feel their feelings and feel completely confident that that's like a valid place and a valid space to be in
1: and what about the bigger picture and, and Sue's arc? Because it's going to be Sue B. through all three books, right?
0: Um, so it's actually not. Book two, oh, which I've oh. written, is uh, Barnaby. Oh! Um, we learn a lot more about Barnaby in book two. So I think we start to see a little bit of Barnaby's redemption. Uh, just a touch of it, you know? I didn't want to undo years of torture for Sue B., so it was important to me to leave that up to them. Um, but it takes place a year in the future uh, after the end of Subi. Um, But yeah, Barnaby is the main character for book two. And then Jesse Jess will be the main character for book three, because that's actually quite a bit in the future. And it's still it's still about anxiety. It's still about trusting yourself. But um, for Barnaby, it's a completely different struggle than it is for Subie. Um, Barnaby is... is exploring his own redemption and and forgiving himself. And I think that sometimes we're taught that when we do something wrong when we're young, that we become this label. Um, and I think not only of myself being young and being labeled and told this is who you are, this is the main focus of your identity, that can be very damaging, uh, but also the labels we give ourselves because we're ashamed of something we've done. And so Barnaby is facing a lot of that, but also dealing with... Um, with Mr. Ritter again, who uh, I will say embraces his full-on villain. Ooh. In book i <laughs> I'm rubbing my
1: hands because I can't wait to see it. <laughs> I'm already so fully intrigued, right? But of course with Barnaby, it's, you know, hurt people, hurt people, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think we get a glimpse of that um, during the dream sequence uh, with the characters and Soobie getting to see a little bit of what it's like to be Barnaby and Barnaby getting to see a little bit of the repercussions of what he's doing to Soobie. And uh, yeah, I mean, you learn in the very beginning of book too that Barnaby has been in therapy for a year. So Barnaby, and I wanted to normalize that too. So there's actually scenes with his therapist in the story because I think that that's okay too. You can be a terror for years and still find your way into being a good... Person. Well,
1: congratulations! I'm so excited. (laughs) I cannot wait. Um, I did put in my pre order, hundred percent. I know that it has been a long journey, and I just want people to know this book is so like who doesn't want pterodactyls to come take their problems away, right? I I would love. I I actually I would be happy with pterodactyls just doing the laundry.
0: Or babysitting for a little while. Yes. Be
1: great. What a great idea. Melissa, congratulations on this on publication of Sue B. and the Ritters. And I'm looking forward to watching its success and seeing the next two books in the series. Nice. Well, friends, that brings us to the end of another episode of What Were You Thinking? You can pick up Melissa's book, Sue B. and the Ritters, wherever books are sold. And if you are looking for some great memoir to read over the summer, may I recommend my own? I have three for you to choose from. The first is The Girl in the Gold Bikini, which is all about family and food, and any woman will relate to the stories in those pages. The second is Murder on My Mind, which is all about my menopausal journey, as well as that of some other women in my life. And my third memoir is called Spent, which is all about behind the scenes, in the world of retail, from a management perspective. I think you'll find some eye-opening things in there. All my books are available online and in select bookstores, and you can order signed copies directly from me on my website, danagoldstein.ca. Once again, thanks for giving me your ears.
0: When was the last time a bird pooped on you? Well, apparently, you have a better chance of winning the lottery than you do of getting pooped on by a bird. Which is why some cultures consider this unexpected, unpleasant occurrence to be good luck. But there's nothing lucky about this. Look at the sky. It's not a bird or a plane. It's a pterodactyl.